Amen. We are going to finish 2 Peter, the final last words of the Apostle Peter to the churches that he was pastoring and ministering to and talking with. Um, I think he saved the best for last. It's super good. In this chapter, it's B. So last week, it was be mindful. And there's just a list of things, B, 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 B. And he's only asking us to be something after he said, because of Jesus, your God and your Savior, and what he has done for you. Respond this way, okay? And there's a bunch of them. We're gonna jump in and finish the book. So number one, be patient, verse eight. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Here's what Peter's saying. The Bible has movement. Adam goes to Noah, goes to Abraham, goes to Jacob, goes to Moses, goes to David, goes to Solomon, goes to Peter, goes to Paul, comes to Edgewater, that there's movement. There's a beginning and the Bible says there's an end that this thing's not just going to continue on Groundhog's Day. There's movement. Well, Matt, it sure seems like it's slow. (laughs) Have you noticed that time can do that? That there are times in your life that it's like it just drags on. And then there's other times that it just flies by. You can be in a lecture and a guy's really boring and he just goes on and on and on, Bueller. Bueller, Bueller. And you're looking at your phone and it's been like 11.59 and then you put it, and then you look back and it's 11.59 and you're like, what in the world? Time has stopped right now. And then there's other times when everything's good. Your kids are laughing. It's sunny outside. Imagine that. It's sunny outside. (laughs) Everything's right in the world. Things are beautiful and brilliant. It's amazing. And it's like gone, right? Sometimes a day feels like a thousand years. You're like, ah, it needs to go faster. Then other times a thousand years feels like just a day. It's a snap and it's gone. Well, the theory of relativity says time is actually variable. It's not, it is. Like sometimes it's a thousand years, sometimes it's a day, right? And I think kids feel this more than us even, don't they? So Myron turned seven in August. On August 10th, the day after his birthday, he said, dad, how many days till my birthday? (laughs) 
I said, 365, buddy, or 64, buddy. He goes, oh, I'll never make it, right? I'm like, bro, that will be your tomorrow. 2020 is over. Yeah, praise God. We can have 2020 hindsight. That's a, that's a Christmas gift right there, right? It just, boom, time goes fast. But there's this, there's this, this kind of thing in us, I think, that we get into the monotony of life and it becomes almost like Groundhog's Day-ish, and it's actually very unhealthy. So a long time ago, I read this. He's one of my favorite authors. And he was talking about the difference in age, what happens as we age, how we look at events and time very differently. And it's brilliant. I'll read it for you. It's by G.K. Chesterton. And he says this. Because children have abounding vitality because they are in spirit fierce and free. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. <laughs> For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never grown tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Brilliant. Something happens to us. We change. I read that a bunch of years ago, and my son Elijah, he was about three years old. And right when I was reading this book that this was in, I took Elijah to Walmart as a three-year-old. And for some reason, when you have a three-year-old, the moment you walk into Walmart, they will look at you and they will say, dad, I really have to go to the bathroom. You're like, in Walmart of all places, why? Right? Why can't we be in the woods right now? Okay. So then you've got to march to the bathroom and they want to touch everything. Stop touching that. Don't touch that. Don't touch that. Just go to the bathroom. That's all I want you to do right now. Touch nothing, go to the bathroom, right? So we're in that phrase. So I'm like, just go to the bathroom. So he goes to the bathroom and I am not allowed to flush the toilet at this stage. It is like the joy of a three-year-old, right? So he flushes that Walmart toilet and it was the first time he realized this toilet is awesome. I don't know what you have at home, dad, but this one is awesome, right? It just goes, kaboom. And he's like, whoa, can I do that again? And I was just being an old fuddy-duddy. I'm like, no, man, you can't do it again. And I stopped myself. Why do I care? Yeah, do it again and do it again. Flood the road. What do I care, right? Something happens. We change. The pattern of life just starts to do something to us. And we're not, we're not enjoying the world the way we are. We grow old. There's a way to live life that says this, 
this is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. There is a way to live that way. Not the monotony of, oh, another day, not the dragging. How do you do that? I think it's this thing called patience, that we're supposed to be patient, that somehow in patience, this is what happens. You begin to see joy in every job. You see joy in flushing a toilet in Walmart. Like, that was awesome. That is awesome, right? 60 years ago, you went outside and you dug a hole or you were in an outhouse. Like, this is awesome. Are you kidding me? We got toilets. This is great, right? That God is working everything for a really good plan. If you don't have that, here's what happens. And this can happen to believers and it can happen in my heart. I can begin to look at the world around me and I can begin to say, man, I sure hope Jesus comes here quick and flushes this whole thing down a toilet, right? Does that ever get into your heart? Peter says it shouldn't. Here's why. God is patient and he wants everyone to come to repentance. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants to fill heaven. Aren't you glad that we serve that kind of God? Wouldn't it be a bummer if we served the kind of God that just wanted to flush the whole thing down a toilet? Everyone's gone, forget it. We don't serve that kind of God. We serve a God who says, I'm going to wait. I'm not gonna let this place to go to hell in a handbasket. I'm gonna come down there. We celebrate this at Christmas and I'm going to rescue it and I'm going to give enough time that every person can have an opportunity to come and fill heaven. How good is that? You and I are to have that same kind of patience. That's how you enjoy life. You say, okay, Lord, it might feel like I'm doing the same thing today, but here's what I know. I plant and I water and I plant and I water and one day you'll give an increase. That's the attitude to have, patience, right? Peter says, he's not slow. You know what slow is? Lazy. Patience is, I have a plan and I'm gonna work it out perfectly. God's not lazy, he's not slow. He's patient because he has a plan. I am convinced that what you're doing, what I'm doing as we plant and as we water, I am convinced God has a plan for it and there's an increase. That what we're doing with kids and adults, what we're doing with home bridging and getting people into homes, what you guys are doing with foster care and adoption and all those things, that that is adding up and heaven is going to be full because you and I are partnering in patience with God. Be patient. It might feel like you've had the same conversation with that coworker or that neighbor or whatever. You're planting and you're watering, trusting God, give an increase. Don't be wore down. Don't be weary and well-doing. Trust God's plan. Be patient, number one. Number two, be vested. Look at verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they are burned. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. 
be vested. Have you heard the comment or the saying, it's all gonna burn? From this passage right here, it's all going to burn. (laughs) So Peter says, because it's all gonna burn, what kind of person ought you to be? When I was at OSU, I went to Campus Crusades for Christ, back when they had Campus Crusades for Christ. And our leader was this guy named Alex Kettles. And he would divide out guys on, over here, gals over here, and he would say this every time, he would say this every time he talked to us, he would say, guys, you can either spend your life or you can invest your life. Never forgot it, never forgot it. You can spend your life or you can invest your life. Ever get like articles on investments, how, how you blew it, right? Like Apple computers, if you bought, or if you bought stock in Apple, instead of buying a Macintosh computer when they came out, today you would be a millionaire, right? You read that stuff and you just feel like such a moron. You're like, man, I blew it. Or how about Tesla? 660%. In one year, that's phenomenal. You know what that is? Merry Christmas to some investors. That's in, 5% is awesome, 660%. But here's what Peter's saying. I have an investment strategy. You don't have to wait for 30 years or even one year. I have an investment strategy that will affect you right now and change your today. So he first says, hey, what manner of people ought you to be in? holiness and blamelessness, okay? That goes back to chapter one. We spent six weeks on that idea in chapter one. He's just bringing that up. He says, okay, based on that, know this. Here is the goal. Verse 13, we are waiting for the promise of new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's the hope of the believer, It would be great to have a perfect home. It'd be awesome to have a brilliant job. It'd be wonderful to have an immaculate car. It'd be great to have an an absolutely spotless church, right? All those things would be great. But here's what you have to realize. My kitchen remodel, which is awesome. It is such an awesome kitchen remodel. It's fancy kindling at the end of the day. That's what you have to remember. That's the goal. That's what you're supposed to put in your head, okay? Here's how this works. Here's how this changes your day. Here's how this changes how you look at life. You no longer live for stuff. You live for eternity. You're no longer owned by your junk. You own your stuff, right? It's not, it doesn't matter what you have. It's what actually has you. And when you get this secret, you're set free. You are set free. And there was a guy that was an example of this to me. So he would help out all the time on our high school camps. And he's since moved back east, great guy, but he had this $100,000 wake surf boat. I mean, just immaculate, incredible boat. So all of us are worried about his boat, like, oh my goodness, don't even let high schoolers on it. You want to pressure wash them, right? Because they just get sand on it and dirt on it and you're always worried about it. And this was his attitude every time. Dude, don't worry about that. This is what I bought this boat for. And if my boat can be part of the 
planting and watering that leads kids to Jesus, man, that makes me so happy. I'll tell you what, being on his boat with him was such a blast. There was other people's boats that I was on that was not such a blast. It was a very different mentality on their boat. And it was like you were walking on eggshells. With him, it was just joy. It was fun because he had this attitude. Hey, I'm using this thing to help fill heaven. And this thing doesn't have me. I have it, right? We have a beautiful building. I love this building. It's awesome. I got to show it off a couple weeks ago. Someone came over from Jackson County and they'd heard about it. And they just, they were like, are you kidding? In Grants Pass, right? They're Medford. In Grants Pass? Can anything good come from Grants Pass? This is unbelievable, right? And I'm just walking, I'm just smiling. Like it's amazing, right? It's brilliant. But guess what? We're not gonna turn it into a shrine. We don't have rules here, if you've noticed. We try to say yes as often as possible. Because the goal of this, yes, we wanna be good stewards. Yes, we're gonna take care of it. But the goal of this is not to create something that's gonna last forever. The goal of this building is bringing, to bring the nations to Jesus. That's it, to bring kids to Jesus, to bring adults to Jesus. That's the whole goal of this building. So we just don't have rules for it, right? You can eat where you want. You can do, oh, we just say, yeah, sure. Can we use it? Yeah, sure, why? Because we believe we're stewards of this. And the goal it's gonna all burn. The goal is let's see this thing bring the nations to Jesus. I'm telling you, you are set free. You get to enjoy yourself. You get to enjoy your stuff without being owned by it. Are you invested? Does something own you? I use December all the time to kind of evaluate my life. Is something owning me? And here's how I evaluate. It's real simple. It's where does my mind go when I'm not doing anything? When I'm just sitting, when I'm just, there's, I don't have a task to do, I don't have um, a goal, I don't have a conversation I'm in, it's just dead time. Where does my mind go? Is it constantly going to something? Is that thing owning me? Because I don't wanna be owned by something. Be vested, you'll be set free. You'll enjoy life so much more. That's what Peter would say. And then number three, be diligent, verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Be diligent. Be diligent to do what? To be found by him without spot or blemish. Let me ask you a question. Who makes you without spot or blemish? Does Jesus make you without spot or blemish or do we make ourselves without spot or blemish? I'm gonna say yes to that. Here's what I mean. If you read Revelation 22:14, fascinating little text. And it's our goal. We're in the kingdom. We're there. Here's what it said. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. The right, not permission, the right to the tree of life. Who makes you without spot or blemish? Jesus? Me? 
Yes, it's one of the enigmas of God's word. Well, how does that work? Here's how I think you put it together. Jesus provides the soap, but you and I use it. That's how we get cleansed. Jesus provides the soap, but you and I have to use it, right? Well, how do we use the soap? What is the soap? Here's what the soap is. It's repentance. It's confession. It's humbleness. Peter knew all about pride and how it took him out, right? He bragged to Jesus, no way, man. I'm gonna go to battle for you. I'm gonna chop everybody up. I'm gonna do that for you. No, you're gonna deny me three times. So Peter would say, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and in due season, he will lift you up. That's how we get cleansed. We do Psalm 139, verses 21 and 22. God, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me on the path everlasting. That is one of the most important prayers a believer can ever pray. God, is there something right now starting to darken my heart, starting to turn me aside? Bring it to my mind. Show me what's happening in my heart, right? And then 1 John 1, 9, if we'll confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's how you do it. It's yes, Jesus, and yes, confession and repentance. It's saying, God, I want to be cleansed. I want to be without spot. I want to be without blemish. Is there a sin that's owning you right now? The Bible says, be diligent. You know what diligent means? daily. That thing might be deep and it might be daily repentance, daily confession, daily humbleness. Help me. Change me. I don't want to be this way. Help me. Change me. Praying. Give me this day, the daily bread that I need for today. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. That's what you're praying over and over and over. And you begin to walk out of those things and you're without spot and without blemish. There's something that's owning you. Lust, selfishness, greed. Something that's owning you. Man, get set free. Be without spot. Be without blemish. Be diligent, he would say. Then number four, be at peace. End of verse four, 14, excuse me, be at peace. Anyone here want peace? The word peace, the idea of it comes from the Hebrew word shalom, which means a lot more than just lack of hostility. Shalom means this, there's just rightness in your life. Ever had rightness in your home where things just feel right? Everything's in its place. Your kids are doing well. Your marriage is good. Your finances are great. You're just, ah, there's like a shalom. It's one of the best states of mind you could ever want. Be at peace. I think we want that. Like no one is here saying, no, I'd really rather fight. And yet I do enough marriage counseling to know this. We fight, don't we? Don't. Don't we fight about the stupidest things in marriages, right? How to squeeze a toothpaste tube. Where is the toothpaste tube? Where's the cap to the toothpaste tube? Where's the comb, right? 
Where's my shoes? Where's my socks? Where's my wallet? Where's my phone, right? And then it just triggers something. Like it's silly. Why do we fight all the time? Why do we do that? Most of us would say, I don't wanna do that anymore. I want peace. If you're saying, no, I like to fight, hey, move to Iran or Portland. I don't think there's any difference anymore, right? (laughs) We want peace. Well, how do we get it? Number one, peace is a person. It's Ephesians 2.14. Jesus is our peace. Over and over in the Bible, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. It's a person. You say, Jesus, give me peace. That's what you do. You go to the person. But number two, applicably, to apply this, I think peace is a place. And I'll try to illustrate it this way. So have you ever been in this conversation or heard this conversation? People talking about how long they've lived in Grants Pass or Southern Oregon, right? Hey, how long have you lived here? Oh, I just moved here two years ago from the Bay Area. Oh, well, I've been here for five years. And then someone else, oh, I've been here for 16 years, four months and 10 days. And then someone else has to up them. I was born in Grants Pass, man. Born on 6th and G Street, right? Right there. What's happening in that conversation? You're trying to make yourself feel better, right? For something that you really have little control over, like where you're born. Why do we do that? Because there's an insecurity in all of us. And that insecurity, what happens is we begin to fight and debate about things that don't matter because we're insecure. And here's what religion does. Religion amplifies that insecurity. So religion is this. Religion is behave and be accepted. And it makes a big division in our world. It divides out, number one, those who believe that they're behaving. And then the rest of us that say, yeah, there's no way. And then the ones that believe that they're behaving, look at the ones that aren't, are like you, dirty, rotten, just scoundrels. And the ones that look at the, Things, the people that think that they are, we're like, you hypocrites, you're horrible humans, right? So it just divides, but it's insecurity. Here's what the gospel does. The gospel makes everybody insecure. The good Jew, the bad pagan, the terrible druggie, the Rotary Club president, it says this, you're all sinners and you've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. It makes everybody insecure. You cannot do it. Give up, surrender your life to Jesus. It makes everybody secure. And once you're made insecure, here's what it does for you. It says, now you're accepted. And all the lies and all this stuff that makes us insecure, you say, no, that doesn't matter anymore. The only opinion that matters The only one that matters is now, you are my son, you are my daughter in whom I am well pleased. That's how you get, that's how you get peace. No longer are you judging people on the size of their Bible or the size of their television or what kind of brands of clothes they wear or whether they have one shot or two shots of espresso in their coffee. You don't care anymore about any of that stuff because it doesn't matter, right? That's what you do. It's simple. It's a place. It's at the foot of the cross. It's I'm a sinner. And you look at your spouse and you say, and you're a sinner. Sometimes that's a much easier. And you say, but we've been saved by God's grace. And you give that person the same grace that you would want. I have conversations with parents sometimes and they're telling me about their 17-year-old or their 18-year-old. And I always say this, I was so much worse than your son was. I was such a bonehead at 18. You would hate me if you knew me at 18. Give your son, give your daughter a lot of grace. 
Give him a lot of grace. Give him a lot of grace. Trust God. If you wanna do something for him, especially when they're 18, pray, 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 pray for them. That's what you start doing. You pray for them and you give grace to them. The same grace you would have wanted when you were 17 or 18 or 22 or 28, the same grace that you would have wanted at that age, you extend to other people. That's how you get peace because it's a place. It's at the foot of the cross. Get peace. And then lastly, he says, and be a student. Verse 16. 15, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. I love that. Peter's like, heard you've been reading Paul. Yeah, good luck with that. I can't figure it out either. Right? How good is that? Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. What did Peter just say about Paul's writings? He's writing the Bible. By AD 60, people were looking at Paul's writings saying, yeah, that's the Bible, right? How do we get the Bible? They already knew it was the Bible, right? The Bible went viral. The stuff that is authentic God's word, when it was written, it went viral. That's why we have 5,000, 6,000 manuscripts because it went viral back then. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Peter, be a student. Hey, Paul, he's hard. He's hard. Do you know the Bible can be hard? It says it about itself. It's Proverbs 1.6. It says there's dark sayings. It's the Hebrew word hidot, which means enigmatic passages. That you're gonna read the Bible and there's gonna be these passages. You're like, what does that mean? And you have to reread it and reread it and reread it. And you can still be like, what does that mean? Those are hard sayings. We want the Bible to be really easy, right? A equals B. Life is always fair, but it's not. And the Bible is very honest about life. In fact, Proverbs 25, two says this. It's the glory of God to conceal a thing, but it's the honor of kings to search it out. Like there is stuff that's concealed and it's hard to figure out that you have to wrestle with it sometimes for years to get an answer. You get to wrestle with Romans 4 and Romans 7 and Romans 8. You have to wrestle if you read Galatians and then read James. You're like, how do you put these two things together? How can these two things be the same? How can they both be true? There are passages like that. But here's what happens. If you will read and reread and read and reread, all of a sudden it starts, starts to sort itself out. Sometimes you can't even tell it happens. It's like your kids relatives that have not seen them for a year or two years, they come and what's the first thing they say? Wow, your kids have got big. You haven't noticed it because you're too close to it. Sometimes our own spirituality, we don't even know how we're growing and changing, how it's being sorted out because we're too close to it. Maybe it's like this. A bunch of years ago, I worked up in Alaska for two summers to get money to pay for college. 
And the first time I went there, first year, you show up and it's just salmon everywhere. We did 400,000 pounds of salmon a day in this cannery. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And the way that the fish got from the boat into the cannery was a giant vacuum like a vacuum with a tube that big. And they would just suck the salmon out and it would just come out as this stream of salmon onto this conveyor belt about three feet wide, just a stream of salmon just dumping onto this conveyor belt. And then there was this, these men that stood about five feet apart. And in front of them across the conveyor belt was this massive stainless steel tub, like huge. And they would be flipping their species of salmon in because there's chum and there's Chinook and there's silvers, and there's pinks, and there's sockeye. So you would be sorting them. But the first time you're there, you're like, it just looks like fish to me, right? Like that just looks like fish, like a lot of fish. How in the world can they do that? Because they would be flipping four or five fish a second. It's flying fish. It, like everybody would just go and watch them because it's the most amazing thing in the world. You're like, how do they do that? How in the world can you tell the difference between these salmon? They all look the same to me. Right, so I start to work. 14, 15, sometimes 20 hours a day, salmon. Just salmon after salmon after, repetition, repetition, repetition. Salmon, salmon. About a month into my stay there, and I'm on the slime line, I'm just doing salmon. You're sliming out salmon. When I get a tap on my shoulder, and this guy says, hey, we need your help. And he's one of the sorters. I'm like, what do you need my help for? Well, one of the guys that sorts salmon is sick, we need you up there to sort salmon. And I said, no way, dude. I am not doing that. I am not ready. This is what he said to me. Oh, you're ready. I was like, okay. So I get up there and I don't get nervous very often. I'll tell you what, I was so nervous. Like I could feel just butterflies because like you can't, it's, the fish are coming, they don't stop, right? You have to get them into your tub. That has to happen. There's no way to stop it. So you're just like nervous, like, and you can hear the machine like, Whoa, and all of a sudden just a hose of salmon comes out. And I'm just like, ah, my job was chum salmon. I'm just thinking, oh no, I'm gonna fail. But it was the most amazing thing that happened. It was like, all I saw was chum salmon. And I'm just doing the whole thing. I remember I got finished and I was just like, yeah! It was like one of my favorite days ever of work. Why? Because everything clicked. I didn't think I was ready, but I was. That's what happens with God's word. You just read and you read and then all of a sudden it clicks. I'll tell you there's no greater thing in life than when the mysteries of God are revealed to you by his spirit as you've read and reread. You will never forget those moments. You never forget those truths. They go deep into you. They make you into royalty. That's what they do, Proverbs 25, two. So Peter's like, I know it's hard to understand, but be a student of scripture. And his parting words are these, some of the best in the Bible. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory now and to the day of eternity. Grow in grace. I've been a believer my whole life. I have watched people and they seem to take two paths as they age. Path one is they grow in grace and they become this generous kind of person. The other path is the other path is 
they become tribal and they become very grumpy. Tribalism is this, it's my way of seeing the Bible is the only way to see the Bible and every other way is heresy. Do you know people like that? It's hard. So there's a story that maybe illustrates this. It's probably apocryphal. I don't think it's true, but it still illustrates the point. There's a man driving across a bridge and he hears this sound. He gets out, he looks over the edge and there's a man who had fallen over and he's just holding on to the bottom of the trestle of this bridge. He's like, oh, let me help you. So he goes and he gets a rope, throws it down and he begins to pull this guy up, but he'd had a lot of apple pie that Christmas time and he was out of shape. So he's like getting sore. He's like, I better ask this guy if he's saved just in case I drop him. So he's like, hey, um, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And the man shouts up, yeah, I know him. He's my Lord and Savior. Oh, awesome, man, we're brothers. Starts to pull a little bit more, gets tired. Like, um, what church do you go to? And the man says, I go to the Baptist church. No way, me too, we're brothers. Pulls a little bit more, gets tired. Says, um, is that Southern Baptist or First Baptist? He's like, it's Southern Baptist. Oh, me too, we're brothers. Pulls a little bit more. Um, is that... Missouri Synod, Southern Baptist? Said, yeah, it's Missouri Synod. Oh, we're brothers. Pulls a little bit more. Is that Reform Missouri Synod, Southern Baptist? No, just Missouri Synod. Heretic. Let's him go. You know people like that? We're supposed to grow in grace. We're supposed to grow in grace. That we have all been saved by the work of Jesus Christ. We begin there that we're sons and daughters of the king. Doctrine matters. I have given my life to doctrine. I love doctrine. But there are very few things that will divide me from other people. Because I've learned, you know what? If you know what you're talking about in that other system and you are dedicated to it, okay. Yeah, I can see that in the Bible. I personally have a different conviction, but I'm not gonna die on that hill. There's very few things I will die for. I'll die for Jesus. I'll die about sin. I'll die about scripture. I'll die about him coming back for us. Very few things though. It's grow in grace. We are on the same team. We are gonna spend eternity with each other. Grow in grace. I'm telling you, our world needs this because we live in a cancel culture world now where people's history is being drudged up from 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and they're being canceled for something they did when they were 20. It's insanity to me. That is the opposite of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the opposite of how you and I are to live. We live in a culture that's all about vengeance and revenge and getting even. It's the opposite of what you and I are to be about because Jesus, to the ones that were nailing him to a cross, said, Father, forgive them. That's growing in grace. So this Christmas season, this holiday season, there might be people coming over to your house or you might be going over to their house or you might be involved in people that you just say, they hurt me really bad and uh, okay. Grow in grace, grow in grace. Give them grace, respond differently, act differently, do that. We are to be oases of grace in this desert of cancel culture that we live in today because you need it and I need it, and your kids need it, and your coworkers need it, and your family needs it. Be oases of grace. This is Peter's final word to us, and it's brilliant. And every Sunday we come to the table, and we come to the table, you have to know this. Why are you and I allowed at the king of the universe's table? 
Is it because God looked down at you and said, man, I've got to have him on my team? Man, he is a first rounder. Or is it because of his grace? We come to the table of grace. We come to the table because of the work of Jesus Christ. We need to be reminded that over and over and over. I have a seat at the king's table because of his grace to me. So Jesus, today, as we partake, may we be filled up with your grace. May we treat our coworkers and our family, may we treat people that have hurt us differently. If there's enough love for anyone, love your enemies. So give us that love, I pray. May we treat people differently. May we grow in grace. Let's eat together. And we want to be cleansed. We want to be without spot, without blemish. May we be a people who have hearts that are circumcised, that are sensitive to the conviction of your spirit. And may we be quick to confess those things and to be forgiven and to be cleansed. I pray for any in here that even your spirit is right now bringing to their mind a sin. I pray that they would confess it and that they would be cleansed by you. Let's drink together. Amen. So if you're new, we'll conclude with one song. And then after that song, you can be dismissed or up front here, we pray for people. Maybe you came in with anxiety and fear and worry from this week. We'd love to pray for you. Maybe there's an issue. Maybe there's a family problem. Maybe there's a struggle. Maybe it's medical. Maybe it's financial. The Bible says that we cast all of our cares on him because he cares for us. So we'd love to lay hands on you and pray for you right up here. We also believe baptism is really important because Jesus says this, it's the great commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel teaching them everything I command, making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So we'd love to baptize you. If today is the day that you wanna do it, awesome. We'd love to join in with you. We'd love to be part of that. We'll baptize you. So you just come up, talk to anybody up here praying, talk to me, ask, just walk out there. We'll baptize you. If you're doing well, Grow in grace. Grow in grace. You will never regret growing in grace. Would you stand for one final song?